You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're beginning a new Christmas series called The Ancient Light. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. I want you to think back with me to maybe your younger years where you were afraid of the dark. Maybe you remember those days. Maybe you still have those days, even now. I think about what it was like when my children were small, uh, and it was, you know, the, the, the monster in the closet or the monster under the bed, or whatever it is. And that darkness is something that creates an unsettledness. I, we, I've shared with you before, we came home uh, one time when I was a child and somebody was breaking into our home. And so the idea of walking into a dark environment that I can't see the reality of what's going on has always created a level of fear for me. So we can compensate, right? Maybe we leave a light on in another room. Maybe we leave a lamp on. Maybe we put uh, little nightlights in the sockets along the walls, whatever. We all recognize that we have these moments. and, And sometimes we outgrow them. Sometimes we live through a circumstance or an event that's traumatic enough that it brings all of that back. And we can find ourselves struggling in that darkness again. That's not a new reality. It's been true for a long time. There's a story where H.G. Wells, the the British writer, was telling the story about once during World War II when uh, London was being bombed that he was found outside shaking. And when somebody came upon him and asked him if he was okay, he said, it's not the bombs. It's the darkness. I've always been afraid of the dark. I mean, think with me about how scary it can be. You've got bombs dropping, but the reality is that's not what's created this fear that has you trembling. It's the darkness of it. Because what we know inherently is we don't like the dark. We don't like not being able to see or knowing where we're going or what's going on. The darkness is a scary place for us. And a blog post from the Cambridge Dictionary, Liz Walter was talking about metaphors of darkness and light, and she quotes that, that famous Martin Luther King quote where he, he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Maybe you're familiar with that saying. She goes on to say that King's quote, plus some others that she offers, she says, perfectly demonstrates the way darkness and light are used in metaphors and in many other languages, actually where the darkness suggests ignorance, evil, and unhappiness. Think with me, that probably doesn't surprise you. The darkness suggests ignorance, evil, and unhappiness. And light signifies knowledge, purity, and happiness. There's many common phrases that would exemplify this, right? You may have used these phrases before. We were completely in the dark about what was happening. Or conversely, if you bring something into the light, you might... People find out about it, and then you would say something maybe along the lines, along these lines. New facts have brought light into the situation. As we turn in our copy of Scripture, and I invite you to turn to John chapter 1, we're coming through some hard days in Israel's life, and we'll talk more about those a little bit later on in the message. But we're coming out of this time known as the Old Testament, where we're moving into the Gospels. And we have four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels translates into good news. We have the good news of the birth of Christ, but it brings us into this reality of what does it mean to be good news? And John, in his accounting, begins to offer us some thoughts. 
We're only looking at a handful of verses this morning, but let's begin with the reality of some of what John wants to encourage us by. If you look with me at John 1, starting in verse 1, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. Now, let me stop for one moment so that we're real clear on what Word means. Word, just if you were to define it, would mean something along the lines of a speaking or a message But it was taken over uh, in philosophical ways to point to philosophies of the world, things that were bright, things that were wise. And so you've taken something that you said, this means to speak or to have a message, but now we've taken it to be a classification of wisdom literature, okay? So that's how the world was using it. So when John says, in the beginning was the word, is we can't begin with the idea that we're saying that this message has been there since the beginning without doing some work. A philosophy of man has been there since the beginning. It's going to take some work. So let's look back. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, we've got a lot of statements there where we are being drawn to a conclusion is that this word has left an ideological sense or a philosophical sense. We're no longer talking, certainly not literal. It's not a message. It's not the idea that it is a wisdom thing or a philosophy or a worldview thing. Because what we now see is that in the beginning was the word is we're talking about something that's eternal. We're talking about something that predates time. Because even when you and I want to think about in the beginning, that's just in our terms. Because you and I can look up and say, we're so time-based as there's there's a beginning and then there's an end. But when we talk about our God who is eternal, what we have is something that exists outside of time. Let your mind drift here for a moment and it won't last very long. God exists out of time. He has no beginning. He's always been. And at some point, he said, let's start time. And that's when you and I are like, I got, I got the beginning. But this word that we're talking about here, in the beginning was the word. Way back, before the beginning was the word. How do we know it's before the beginning? Because the word was with God. And the only thing that exists before time begins is God himself. Because he's got the characteristic or the attribute, attribute of eternality. So he goes all the way back. So this word that was with God, coexisting in relationship with God, and then the word was God. Okay, now we're getting to the point. Is that this word that we're talking about is Jesus. Is that Jesus, in the beginning, he has always been. He has always existed. He's always been in relationship with the Father. And there are some faith traditions that we would not agree with that add a little, uh, add a an article there, and the word was, and they add a, the word was a God. There's no context in the text to do that. The downside to doing that, besides, I would say, being heretical, would be this, is you've now reduced Jesus to just being one of many gods because he is only a God. He's not God. He's a God. Now, beyond that, Scripture has no support for that belief at all. Scripture makes it clear. John makes it clear. Jesus is God. How do we know? Well, if he existed in the beginning with God, and the only person who has the attribute of eternality is God, and he existed eternally in relationship with God, then guess what Jesus has to be? God. 
And so as John brings us into this, he then starts saying, okay, so he's always been, this is the way he's been, verse three. Then he adds this, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so now we get more to the story. He's always been, time begins here, Jesus and the Father have always been eternally back. He was with him. He's always been with him. He lives in relationship with him. Matter of fact, he is God. And then he tells us, matter of fact, all the creation came through him. Now, it seems rather significant to look at the fact we're not surprised by this. Paul tells us stuff like this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to the world, because God has shown it to them. God has made himself known to the world for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things have been made. Now, John tells us that everything that's been created was created through him, through Jesus. Now we have Paul coming alongside and saying the same thing. Is that when we look at creation, that we have the possibilities or the capabilities of saying, there's got to be a God. There's just no way this thing happens on accident. Had the chance this summer to go up to Colorado with a group of friends, and we took lots of pictures, and it was beautiful and and so forth. But I had this moment, this picture uh, that one of the guys on the trip took, and in it, I'm in it, but you can barely see me. I'm sitting around all these big trucks and whatever, and I'm in this chair in front of a campfire, and the big mountains are behind me. And if you zoom in, you know, if you do a lot of this, you can find me in the picture. And yet when you do that, I'm met with the idea that like, oh, there I am. There I am. Okay. And then I think, wow, that's me. And then I think, wait a minute. And I start making the picture smaller and it starts backing out. I'm thinking, man, that is huge. Creation is huge. I would defy you and God would certainly say the same. We cannot comprehend a creation the magnitude of the creation he handed us. And when we read that God said, I'm speaking to you through creation, I think God intends for us to feel small when we are in creation. Go stand at the foot of the ocean and look out. Go stand at the base of a mountain and look up. Go out there and see what God has done because part of his goal was to speak to us through creation that we might have a sense of, There has to be a creator. There is an intelligent design behind that. I think I'm all that in reality. Look at that picture. I've got to do this so many times for me to even see myself against the backdrop of what God has created. He's always spoken to us through creation, but he also spoke to us through the creator. Book of Hebrews tells us this. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom Also, he created the world. There we go again. The creation of this world created through Jesus who existed before time begins because he's God and he's eternal. And so when we come into this, we recognize that God used creation, created through Jesus, and now uses Jesus to speak to us. So what does that mean? How do we end up stepping into that reality? Because much like Israel found themselves in dark times, have you noticed that we find ourselves in dark times? Go to any level of media, be it social media, be it the news media, go to print media, it doesn't matter. Just walk down the street 
and you will be able to comprehend that there's this darkness in the world, much like Israel is going into when all of a sudden we come into the gospel accounts. We have this darkness that was prevailing in the world, and you and I have the same darkness that we're living around, that's living around us. And you and I may find ourselves asking similar questions to what the Israelites were. Who turned out the lights? When do the lights get turned back on? Is there ever an opportunity for me to feel like darkness isn't winning? Because, man, it just feels like darkness is winning everywhere we turn. Well, that's the good news. That's the good news. When we come into this ancient light, this ancient light that we're calling this message the overcoming light, that light that overcame the darkness that Israel had, does he have something to say to us now? Does that ancient light still shine? And that's where we begin this morning. John chapter 1 starting in verse 4. We just have a couple of verses uh, we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 1, starting in verse 4. In him, who? In Jesus, the Word, the one who is eternal, the one who exists eternally, the one who exists in relationship with God, the one who is God, the one who is the Creator. In him, that Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's begin with a couple of concepts, because we see a couple of concepts here that are coming up, life and light, life and light. So let's talk through those things. When we come to the word life in Scripture, it's used sometimes physically, it's used sometimes spiritually. And within that context, when it's used with spiritual, it frequently has the word eternal attached to it, eternal life. John talks about life 36 different times in his gospel. John thinks life is a really significant thing for us to talk about. So over and over and over again, we talk about it. And so when we read this and we read, in him was life, is you recognize this, is that only life can beget life. Death cannot beget life. Life begets life. And what we find is this Jesus is the one who had the capacity to offer life. He, in, he alone has the capacity to offer life to another. And he made a lot of bold statements. We looked at this verse last week. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, think with me for a moment as we're setting up the reality is that there are two sides to what's going on in this world. There is a thief and there is the Lord, the eternal, the good, the holy, the righteous. But then there's a thief. You know what the thief does? What characterizes the way that he operates in my life and in your life is to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, where have you seen that in your life? Well, let's take a step back. I think about the number of folks that I visit with, whether it's in the office, whether it's at a meal, whether it's in a house, it doesn't matter. And when they start sharing with me what they're feeling with, I'm plagued by these thoughts, I feel guilt, I feel shame, I feel all these things going on inside of me. And I frequently will bring them back to this verse and say, well, let's just talk about it. Are the thoughts or what you're battling right now, is it stealing, killing, or destroying your hope, your peace, your joy? Because if it is stealing, killing, and destroying, that's not from our Lord. Because he doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, that's one team. One team says, I'm all about stealing, killing, and destroying. Jesus says, I want you to have life. Matter of fact, life is found in me. I want you to experience life. And only I can give life because only life can beget life. So the invitation is to say, all right, steal, kill, and destroy, peace, 
joy, whatever. And I would ask you to consider in your own world, what is it that you see the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy from you? Let's acknowledge it for what it is because we know he's functioning in this world. We know that. But what we have for the first time is we have the opportunity for somebody to step into our life and say, but I offer you something different. You don't have to live according to what is being stolen and killed and destroyed. You can live another way and you can live according to what is abundant. So when we come to Jesus and then elsewhere in John, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. Now think with me how bold of a statement that is. There is one gate, it's a narrow gate, and I'm it. Now, you can try to live your life all the ways you want to live. If you were with us for this sermon series we just wrapped up on the Sermon on the Mount, Pharisees and the scribes, they kind of felt like they had created the way to get to God. Jesus had some strong thoughts. Unless your righteousness exceeds what they're doing, then you will never enter the kingdom of heaven because it takes more than behavioralism. It takes more than just sucking it up and trying to get busy and trying to fight through this thing. It takes a spiritual life, and only life can beget life. So when Jesus steps forward and says, hey, look, let's just be real clear. I don't want to be confusing. I don't want to be ambiguous at all. I am it. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody will get to the Father but through me. Now, think with me about what it looks like if the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy And he's trying to say, you're not good enough, you don't have enough, you haven't done enough, you've done too much, you've done way wrong, all those places. What does he do? He steals, kills, and destroys your hope, your joy, your peace. And then the Lord shows up and says, I want you to have the abundant life. As a matter of fact, you want to know how you're going to have the abundant life? Come through me because I'm it. Anything else? Of course, it's going to rob you of your joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because those things couldn't happen on your own behaviorally. I'm here to offer you the life that you want to live, and I'm it. And the whole world is buying into systems, right? This isn't new. The whole world buys into systems. Let me be better. I got to work harder. I got to be better. I'll never live this down. I can never live this down, so I don't know where to begin. And God says, you know what? I've come that you have life. The thief is who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Those days are over if you're willing to leave that behind. And all of a sudden, you and I look up and like, well, that sounds pretty good. So why does it still win sometimes? Well, elsewhere in John, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, these are believers. They had believed in him. If you abide in my word, is it possible to believe in him and not abide in this book? Absolutely. If you abide in this book and you're truly my disciples, what's he saying by that? Can you be a disciple and and be a believer? Well, sure. But if you're truly my disciples, then I think Jesus is saying, you're listening to me, you're abiding in me, you're allowing me to lead you, and you're following me in this. If you believe in me and you abide in this book and you truly are my disciples, you're truly following me, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. Because the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, who will take away your peace and your patience and your kindness and your joy and all those things, the Lord says, hey, life is found in me. It's not in your behaviors. You can leave that stuff behind. Because if you abide in this book and you truly are my disciples, then you will know that my grace is what saves you. My death on the cross and my resurrection from that grave is what brings salvation, not your behaviors. All of a sudden, I can know the truth. And catch this, what does the truth do? It brings freedom. 
You mean I'm free to live? I don't have to carry around this this U-Haul of guilt and shame and behavioralism and all my failures and even my accolades, all the trophies that I think I won? No, you can unhitch that because you've been set free. Now, think with me. If this is true, if truth, knowing the truth and believing the truth and walking in the truth is what brings freedom, guess what brings shackles? Any degree of not living in the truth. Any degree of not living in the truth shackles you back up. It's all on my shoulders. There's your shackles. I have no peace. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough of this or that, or I've done so many bad things, God can never forgive me. Put the shackles back on. Because there's one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. There's one who came that you might have abundant life. There was one that said, you will never measure up. And then there's one that said, I measured up for you. And then there was one that said, you want freedom? Come to me, abide in me, abide in this word and trust that what I'm saying is true. And then there's one over here that says, you know what? You'll never know. There's two distinct sides to this life. And when we come to this, we see how this is all playing out. That true freedom begins with Christ. That's life. In him was life. You see it? You sense it? It's a new way to live. And the life was the light of men. Light. See, now we get our second metaphor that he's using in this. Now, let's be clear. Go back to the very beginning of Scripture where we read in Genesis 1, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Genesis 1.1, we have creation account and we see this heading for what's about to transpire. One, two, the next verse we get is the the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was there. Now, think with me about what creation looks like when it's got no form, it's void, it's completely empty, and darkness is prevailing. Now, God's there because God's eternal. God is there because he's everywhere. He's always been existent. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But we have darkness prevailing. That's all the world can offer is darkness. That's all the world can offer us. But it's not very long that Jesus, that God says, you know what? Let there be light, and there was light. I read an article this week where it said four and a half million years after God said, let there be light, the lights came on. Now, I'm not buying it. I wasn't there. But what a strange thought that somebody would want to articulate that it took four and a half million years for God to speak and then for it to come into being. Let there be light. There was light. You see, God has a way when he speaks of dispelling the darkness. So he is, that's what he does. So when he steps forward into a creation that is void and formless and it's dark, he says, first step, let's get this right. Turn on the lights. And all of a sudden the lights come on Later in that creation account, we read this, and let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And all of a sudden, what we have is, okay, so we're gonna have a day that's a 24-hour period of time. There's day and there's night. There's a contrast. There's gonna be light. There's gonna be darkness. Those two things have always existed. 116, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, the stars. So darkness will never prevail completely again like it did in 1-2 because we've got a distinction of that. 
118, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness, is we're going to have different ways. We're going to have a bright light during the day. We'll have lesser lights at night, but there will always be light from this point forward. And all of a sudden, we move into the reality of what's happening. Now, if I were to ask you, and let's go back, the word some people took as a philosophy or as a worldview. So now, all of a sudden, I would think, think with me what it sounds like when people look for light. Well, I'm looking for new experiences. I'm looking for new revelation. I'm looking for new ways to think about things. I'm looking for the new book, the new podcast. I'm looking for the new this or that. Because we always need more. And so all of a sudden, we start look, they were looking for light. We're looking for light. Some people saw light as wisdom. And I guess I would ask you, where are you trying to pursue light? Where do you try to pursue light? I just need more. I need more of this or that or whatever. What is the more that you're chasing? Because there is one true light. It's the light of men. Matter of fact, come back and look at our verse. In him was life. He alone has the authority or the ability to turn the lights on. In him was life. The life was the light of men, was past tense. When he turned on the lights, that was the light for men moving forward. That's it. There's no other light. And I think about how often you and I can chase trying to find life in other things or trying to find light in other things, and we're never going to get there. We won't get there because it can't be found in this world. I think John's making that really clear. He's the light of all people. There's no light apart from him. He's it. When we see the prophet Isaiah writes this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Do you remember when you saw the light for the first time? Do you remember what it was like to come out of the darkness and walk into the light? I think we can forget that if we've walked with the Lord any period of time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them it light has shone. Yeah, remember that? God spoke, God acted on their behalf, and they had glimpses of it. What made it different when Jesus came wasn't that he didn't originate at Christmas or when he was born at the incarnation. He's always been. He just took on a new form. He had never taken on flesh before. He had never walked among his people. We celebrate this ancient light. He goes back to eternity past. But this Christmas, what we celebrate is the fact that he took on flesh and he came and walked on this earth. Israel had these signs where they could see God's light. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people. But for everybody? No, 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 no. The Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This opportunity that you and I have to say, the world only knows darkness. And let me tell you, you can go deeper into this world chasing light, but if you don't go to the Lord, it gets darker. You can go looking for life out in this world, and if you don't go to the Lord, then it gets more deathly. Because there's only one life and light, and it's from the Lord. And he makes it really clear for us, I think, in these passages. And so it sets us up. He's been very general. The light of men, it's very general. We move from physical light to spiritual light. We go from physical life to spiritual life. Look with me at verse five. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, in verse four, we were past tense. He was the light of men. 
He initiated it. He initiated life in, in humanity. There was a starting point for that. Verse 5, the light shines. The light shines. Do you hear the battle that's going on? Because as we're talking about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we're talking about the one who says, I came that you may have life and you may have it abundantly, is there at odds? You can't reconcile the two. Do you see the thing that you can't reconcile here? The light shines in the darkness. There is a cosmic battle, spiritual battle going on in this. The light shines, present tense. There was a moment in time when he came, the light of men, that light is still shining all these years later. All of that is true. What's the darkness? Ignorance, spiritual lostness, blindness, fallenness. All of those things are true. We're going to study the prophet Malachi next summer. That, ver- that book, Pro- Malachi's words, end with this in chapter 4, verse 6. We have a condition and then a consequence. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God wants to redeem and work in families. He's created some system. That's what's going to happen. Lest I come. Now, if it doesn't happen, here's the consequence. You ready for the consequence? I will come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay? Either you're going to start living according to what I have called you to, or there will be a consequence. Either you will reestablish the home in the way that I intended for the home to be established, or there will be a consequence, which is described as, I will strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I want you to think with me. Maybe you know some of this, maybe you don't. When you read that, you and I can't even come up with what that that could be, right? Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I mean, what could be so bad? I mean, if you follow Israel's history, right? It's like they call out to God, God saves them, they confess, they move forward, then they fall back into rebellion, there's consequences for their sin, and they just do this loop over and over and over again. God redeems them, they worship Him, they spared from the consequences, then they fall into sin and rebellion, they experience consequences, and then they call out to Him, and He saves them, and then they're all over again. And I'm sure if you're Israel, you're like, I mean, come on, how bad can it be? Now, let me tell you how bad it was. I certainly can't tell you all that that included, but I can tell you a little bit of what it included. 400 years from the end of Malachi to the birth of Christ. 400 years. Sociologists will define a generation by 20-year increments. 400 years, 20-year increments, that's 20 generations. 20 generations, what we know is God did not speak or act in ways that Israel could see it or hear it for 400 years, 400 years. Now, think with me what it would have been like first generation. You know, our parents saw God do incredible things. Next generation, our grandparents saw God do incredible things. The next generation, our great-grandparents saw God do incredible things. Great-great-grandparents, God, we saw, they saw God do great things. Guess what? Around that 19th generation, you're like, where is he? Where is he? What, did he give up on us? Were we finally so bad he ran away from us? Did he abandon us? Maybe he lost his power. Maybe we can't trust him anymore. Somebody say, oh, but man, there were days we were in slavery in Egypt, and he led us out of there, and they came to a Red Sea, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And all of a sudden, they parted the sea, and they ran across on dry land, and then all the Egyptians drowned. Man, I wonder what it would be like to have a God like that. 
Or that time they walked around Jericho and they blew their trumpets and the walls fell down. And man, that must have been great. Or when we were in the wilderness and we walked around for 40 years and we didn't have any food and our shoes never wore out, but then God gave us food each day. See, your first generation, you can say, ah, remember my parents telling me. Second generation, ah, remember our grandparents telling me, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents, and walk on down the line. And that 19th generation, when you get to about 380 years, what do you think the 20th generation thinks? Oh, man, that was good. We had a good run. We had a good run. See, I think when we come to the end of this is what we see is the light shines in the darkness, but there's been this cosmic battle that has always been in play between light and darkness. And when God begins to speak again in this moment, 20 generations, imagine the loss that they felt of not feeling that they could see or hear from God. And if I'm real honest, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. Man, I remember when God did this or that, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know where he is. I want him. I know that life is only in him. I know light's only in him. But man, it sure is hard to walk in the darkness that I feel like I'm in. So I'm not throwing stones. Imagine how dark that was. But light is a synonym for goodness has always been. Martin Luther King said it, other people have said it, other cultures have said it, but only Genesis brings it to fruition when we see God begin to speak into and act over the darkness. And you and I can say, well, why does it feel like darkness wins? I mean, if the light is shining in the darkness, why do I not see more of it? Well, Paul tells us, in their case, of the, the God of this world is blind to the minds of the unbelievers. <laughs> There's spiritual warfare going on. This world is hard. And the enemy wants nothing more than to blind you and me. Even if we know him, we can be that disciple that doesn't abide in the word. We can be in that disciple that doesn't truly walk with the Lord, which means what? We haven't truly been set free because we've shackled ourselves back up again because we're living in some level of untruth. Which the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that's exactly what he wants you and I to do. So how do we lean into this? Because the God of this world is blind to the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. There's our word again. Because if he's the light of life, the number one thing that the enemy of my soul and your soul could do would be to try to blind you from the light. Because that light changes everything. It's the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He wants to show himself to us. He wants us to see. He wants us to live in the reality of it. I guess I would ask you and say, just look in your own life. Do you sense the enemy is trying to steal, kill, or destroy something in your own life? What does it look like to lean into the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have for me in this? Not that I'm going to get all the answers, but Lord, I know this is life is only in you and light is only in you. That's it. And so I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay in this spot. And the darkness has not overcome it. Hear the battle? The darkness hasn't overcome it. Overcome how? Physically? I think that's part of it. Spiritually? I think, I think that's part of it too. Overcome. Physically, it would mean to master. Is that the light cannot overpower, excuse me, the darkness cannot overpower light. It can. Light a little match in a dark room, 
And everybody in this room can see it. It doesn't matter that 99.99% of this room is dark. Light the match and everybody in here can see it. It doesn't put out the match. But there's also the spiritual side of it, where it's a sense of the darkness cannot comprehend the light. Now, think with me. If we're in spiritual terms, think with me. It's still hard for me, who is a regenerate person with the Holy Spirit inside of me, to wrestle with the deep reality. And this is what we would ask the world to understand, right? You don't know the Lord, but know this. There is an infinite God in heaven who is sovereign and in control. He loves you. He's committed to you. He wants a relationship with you. Matter of fact, he put his son in flesh to walk this earth, who never sinned, who never rebelled, to go to the cross, to die a death that wasn't rightfully his, but for you, so that on day three, he could walk out, and that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. See why the darkness cannot comprehend the light? It defies logic that there is a God who loves you and is committed to you at that level. So all of a sudden, when we come back and say, okay, so the light's shining in the darkness, and the darkness says, I don't get it. I don't get it. Here's the good news. She said, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There's your invitation. You're in darkness. The invitation is to step into the light. Step into the light and get to know the one who said, life begets life. I can give you life. I give you abundant life. You can leave the stealing, killing, and destroying behind because it shackles you to untruths. Let me turn on the lights and show you the truth. And when he begins to offer that, all of a sudden we can see the goodness of what's happening. 1992, I'm in college, I'm living in a house with a group of guys, and Hurricane Andrew blows through. If you remember Hurricane Andrew, it was a Category 5, it wiped out southern Florida, hit the Gulf of Mexico, strengthened back to a Category 5, and then hit South Louisiana. And we lost all of our electricity at the house where I was living. My parents' neighborhood got their electricity back pretty quickly. But we didn't, and so I had to go pick up clothes. Now, I'm gonna tell you that when this happened is we found ourselves in really what felt like the darkest I've ever been physically, in that we walked into, uh, excuse me, I got in my car and I'm driving back to my house because uh, I've gotta get clothes, and there's no street lights, there's no lights spilling out of the houses, there's some headlights occasionally coming down the road, but there's cloud cover from the hurricane, so you can't see stars, you can't see anything. And so I think, I've got to walk into that house, and that darkness thing still scares me a little bit. So what do I do? I open up my center console and think, what do I have? This is what I have. I have a pin light. That's what I got. Now, I would ask you, well, let me just acknowledge this. The technology in this light is way brighter than the pin lights in 1992. <laughs> We've come a long way. So I open up my center console, I pull out that pin light, and I start thinking, all right, it's not much, but it's what I got. And so I'm going to grab this, and I'm going to walk, and it doesn't throw a wide beam, but I tell you what, everywhere I pointed it, it lit something up. And I begin walking with this, and I was able to walk through the house, and just having enough light to say, okay, Lord, I trust you in this, I see where you're at work, I'm going to be okay, I'm not in darkness, I have some light. Now, I guess I would ask you to consider what it looks like to say, Lord, I know darkness, 
but I also know that you and you alone are the only light I will ever have in this world. And I can try to run to other lights, and it won't work. It will not provide what I'm asking for it to provide. And I've looked for life in a lot of different places. The only life that is truly life is life with you. And so you know what? You may start with this, and then you know what would be a great question? How do I get a bigger light? We keep going back to this. We keep going back to this where he said, you know what? If you abide in my word and you truly are my disciple, then we can live in the truth. We don't have to live in the, let me jump metaphors now. We don't have to live in the darkness that this world has. And everything begins to change because when we talk about this, what I would ask you to consider is this. That light is inviting us to step out of the darkness. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, And you're saying, I only know darkness. My whole life has been darkness. Know this. The God of heaven, the one who turned on the lights in Genesis 1-2, came to turn on the lights for everybody in the incarnation that we celebrate as Christmas. That light that has always been took on flesh to come to this earth to be a light for you and me to invite us to a new way to live life. Matter of fact, a life that would be abundant, a life that offers us promise, one that tells us how to live and move forward. And when that happens, watch the shackles begin to fall off. We'll still live in the reality of this world. But I'm tied to truth now. And that Jesus who came and took on flesh went and paid a price on a cross that wasn't his to pay. It was mine. It was yours. But because it wasn't his price to pay and he paid it, he could pay it for somebody else because he conquered death. He could do it for all of us. And when he walked out of that grave on day three, he offers you and me life. The invitation is, you ready to come out of the darkness? Now, so often, inexplicably, we find ourselves walking back into darkness. Let me tell you this. When we come and talk about words like this, I met with words like uh, James 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Matter of fact, light is so central to who he is, he's called the Father of lights. Every good gift that he's giving you and me comes from him. Why would he do that? Because he came that we may have an abundant life. And all the good gifts, all the perfect gifts we need are from him. So what do we do with it? Well, John in his epistle writes this. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. God's already at work. He's already doing this. But, you know, we have this incredible reality where we can say, okay, so God's the true light. And then we're just like a bunch of these, right? We're a bunch of pin lights running around that we can point other people and like, hey, look, I'm not the light, but I know the light and he's given me the light and I'm living in him. So I wonder if this Christmas, part of our goal isn't to figure out how to walk through this world and be a pin light for this world. You know, Madeline Lingle, when she writes this, we do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Every coffee shop you go into, every vendor you go to, every family member that comes to your house, Everybody you cross paths with at a store, at a restaurant, every food server, every barista, you and I have the opportunity to be a pin light, that we could love people well enough that we understand what they're going through. You know why they're functioning like they're in the dark? Because they're in the dark. And so when we move through this Christmas season, we have the opportunity to point people to the ancient light. And you and I can say, but I don't know how to do it. 
Now, C.S. Lewis said, you know what? I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because I see everything else. When we start abiding in this word, then we start looking around us. And you know what? They're in darkness because they are in darkness. And there is an enemy of their soul that's, guess what he's doing? Stealing, killing, and destroying. And he lives in the darkness. And we have the opportunity to be, there's our theme, pin lights for Jesus. How about that? Let's walk through this Christmas season being a light that points people to the one true light that we invite them out of the darkness so they could live. And you can say, I don't know how to do it. You know the good news? Lord, your word is a lamp. It's a light to my feet. And it is a light to my path wherever I walk. Let's pray that this Christmas season, not only that we step into the light and the life, and let's, let's call the enemy's bluff. We know what he's after. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Let's step away from that. Lord, in you is life, in you is light, and I am living in that, and I'm abiding with you because I've lived in the shackles of this life for too long. So, Lord, I'm leaving that behind. And Father, in addition to that, use me to bring light and life to everybody whose path I cross because you want to use me in that way. And he says, yeah, I want to use you that way. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.